Hey everyone, before we begin, I have an update. On Roundtable 106, we reviewed the Hero Lab SRD material from Lone Wolf Development and said it would be worth buying if the community could flesh it out. Well, guess what? The community did. Everything from the player's handbook and then some is there for you to grab. If you want a great, complete character builder for 5th edition D&D, check out Hero Lab. It's easy to use, constantly updated, and amazing. They did not pay me to say that. You can find a direct link to Hero Lab over in the show notes for this episode at thetomeshow.com. Just wanted to give you that quick update. All right, let's start the show. Hello and welcome to the D&D Roundtable on the Tome Show Podcast Network. I'm your host, James Intercasso. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the show. If you've been here before, do me a favor, go give us a baller rating on iTunes. It helps us a bunch. Seriously, if you've been listening to the Tome Show and paying nothing for it, but you want to help support us, go give us a shout-out. It takes less than a minute of your time. In fact, I've started doing shout-outs to listeners who give us a great rating on the air. I'll read a new five-star rating verbatim each episode and credit the person who left it. Make me say anything you want. Keep it clean, people. This is a family D&D news podcast. Today's five-star rating comes from listener P90X937, and it is read dramatically by the host of the D&D V&G podcast, Rudy Basso. It is entitled, The Gold Dragon of D&D Podcasts. Prepare thy flagon, for it shall be filled with merriment and sage law long forgotten and newly discovered. Set thy wenches aside. Make way for James Intercasso and his brave band of blink dogs. Rally thy resources. Your coin pouch will grow lighter at the thought of new purchases. And a great joke. What does one call a smelly fairy? Stinkerbell. That is all. Why are you still reading this? You should stop what you are doing and go listen to the Tome Show. Seriously, go listen. Well, thanks, P90X937, the gold dragon of listeners, and Rudy Basso, the gold dragon of podcast hosts. You both rock. And to anyone else who wants to join the ranks of these brilliant worms, leave us a great review on iTunes. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or the DMs Guild to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. We'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, noblenight.com, where out of print is available again. They have D&D and other tabletop RPGs. Any edition you want, any product. With Noble Knight, you can even sell your old gaming products that you aren't using anymore. My product pick from Noble Knight for this episode is the out-of-print Ultimate Prestige Classes Number 1 from Mongoose Publishing. This book is full of prestige classes for your D20 system fantasy games. And I don't just mean fighters and wizards. Scions and even monstrous classes can get in on the action. It's almost 10 bucks off its original price, only $25 at the time of this recording. Get it now at noblenight.com. Let's hear a quick word from them. In an election year, gamers can be divided on almost every issue. Is it more important to support a small business or to have the convenience of buying your gaming products online? Do you play shiny new systems full of epic awesome or gritty older out-of-print games that make even the groggiest of nards quake with fear? 
In this economy, is it time to stock up on as many high-quality discounted gaming products as possible, or is it time to sell the old gaming products you aren't using anymore? We are divided on every important issue. So in 2016, you should support the store that lets you do it all. Noble Knight, a brick-and-mortar small business with a strong online presence that has new products and specializes in out-of-print, all at a price you'll love. And yes, they'll buy your old gaming products as well. Check out the incredible offerings at noblenight.com. Tell them the Tome Show sent you and help make gaming great again. Today, we are talking about some D&D movie news, and then it's a debate about prestige classes and multiclassing from two industry powerhouses. Let's meet our panel and kick things off with our get-to-know-you question. What's the silliest third edition prestige class? And of course, when we say third edition, we mean all things that fall under that 3.x. Watsi published uh, 3.x prestige classes, so we should stay within the the D&D realm. Uh, Rudy Basso, what do you think is the silliest prestige class? Uh, first off, just to clarify, I am not one of the aforementioned powerhouses. <laughs> I am just a guy. Uh, the one I chose was Bane of Infidels, which is uh, described as a leader of a xenophobic tribe who wants nothing to do with the outside world. <laughs> Doesn't make the best party member, I would say. I think you need a very specific campaign for someone to decide, oh, I'm going to pick this one up. Ten uh, levels of not interested in participating in the yeah. adventure. There's some real wacky ones, but this one really stood out as this does not work. for. Where does that was, come from? Uh, Masters of the Wild. Oh, oh man. Yeah, I must have blocked that one out. Guidebook. <laughs> Barbarians, Druid, and Rangers. Yeah, that's the the 3.0 supplement. That's way back. Well, Rudy, I just want you to know, you know what you are a powerhouse of, buddy? You're a powerhouse of (laughs) Friendship is eating pasta. (laughs) And uh, Rich Howard is with us. Rich, what is the silliest prestige class? Uh, I'm also not one of the powerhouses, so <laughs> both of those powerhouses go to the next guest, I think. Um, <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. Um, you know, for God's sakes, I tried to do some research. There's so many. No, <laughs> yeah. Good luck. <laughs> you uh, need an extra week. Yeah, I mean, I've been there, you know, from the beginning, and geez, you can't, who can keep up with it? Um, so I don't know if it's silly, but the candle caster from (laughs) Omen Blood, I believe it was Omen Blood. Blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and I say it's silly because like the, the build of it, if I remember correctly, was pretty not helpful. And also one of those odd, like God, like powerhouse pathfinder 3.5, you know, Mm. (laughs) <laughs> wizard i think i'm gonna make some candles i don't know it just didn't like <laughs> but but i actually funny enough i, I like the idea mm-hmm. uh there's a uh brandis stoddard from tribality that one of the the he's also from tribality i should say he he just put out like a ranger like lantern archetype or something mm-hmm. which has a cool kind of idea behind it as well like that so i kind of like the concept it just it wasn't being sold well yeah, yeah cool. when you think arcane mastery, you don't think dip some paraffin. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, one fireball and all your candles are done. I don't even know, like, 
a red dragon you go against a red dragon with the candle i don't know how that works <laughs> they're yeah. uh, they're rough in the elemental plane of fire a little bit <laughs> uh and uh dan Dillon, of course is with us dan the double industry powerhouse uh what is the silliest prestige class <laughs> All right. Uh, there were a couple of notable contenders. The first one that jumped to mind, I think I disqualified it because it actually came out of a Paizo publication. Um, it came out of uh, Dungeon Magazine. It gets honorable mention, though. It's from the uh, the Shackled City uh, Adventure Path, the first Adventure Path, actually, that Dungeon Magazine yeah. did. And that yeah. has evolved into, you know, that thing that Paizo does now. Uh, <laughs> right. It was called the High Handcrafter. And the idea of it was it was a member of a secret society called the Chisel, and you would get these abilities that, that mix into like using craft skills and and <laughs> and it didn't work <laughs> like at all. It was uh it was the most awful for adventurers prestige class I have ever <laughs> seen. It had wizard base attack bonus, it didn't give you like full spell casting it had a bunch of abilities that just didn't do anything it, it was it was rough uh it was like the npc class of prestige classes <laughs> oh, ouch. but uh but if you have to go watsy then my pick is the rainbow servant mm. which is out of uh fleet divine um the picture is i mean it's cool you know you got this uh this jungle oh, aztec wizard follow- chick yeah, they follow like coattles, right? The coattle wings, right? And they have a yeah. cool idea that you go and seek out the hidden temple of the coattles in the jungle. But it uh yeah, I don't I don't know what their their plan was here. It's a wizard, it's an arcane caster prestige class that gives up four levels of spell casting. And in exchange for that, you can grow wings. <laughs> and and get uh access to some domains. Well, I mean, uh, and the spells, you get access to the domain spells. So that uh, that is not okay to me uh, to give up four <laughs> levels of spellcasting, meaning you'll never get ninth level spells. And yeah, just I don't know. <laughs> As opposed and to being cool. able to cast fly, which I think lasted an hour per level in third edition anyway. So yeah. Yeah. well, I, all right. So at tenth level, they could they got access to the cleric spell list, but that's at you know sixteenth level. You, now you can get cleric spells. Ugh. It just it just doesn't work for me for giving up yeah. that four levels of spell casting. <laughs> that sounds terrible. I'm yeah. actually a huge Coatl fan. Well, Coatls are awesome. Talk about <laughs> get to know you question. Now I'm like thinking like, all right, how can I fix this? Oh yeah, this, there's this, there is room to make this thing cool. Terrible, terrible representation of Coatls. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think this is all uh, fuel to riches fire uh, that we're adding mm. here for for later on in the debate. Um, <laughs> uh, but before we talk about uh, whether or not prestige classes are a great thing or a terrible thing and multi-classing is a good thing or a bad thing, we are actually going to talk about some D&D movie news. We know that the D&D movie is coming. Uh, Warner Brothers uh, announced it in the summer, and we haven't really heard very much news since then. But now we have got some. Uh, apparently... Uh, producer Roy Lee has some very interesting tips about how they're going to, uh, you know, make this movie uh, a magical screen experience. 
And he essentially <laughs> said it's going to be Guardians of the Galaxy tone in a Lord of the Rings universe. I know that we probably have varying opinions here of how those things uh, mash up. He also mentioned Raiders of the Lost Ark. So essentially he was trying to name like the most fun kind of epic movies he could and and spin a yarn. And that's his job, obviously. He wants to promote the movie. And uh, as a person who makes uh, short films and and advertisements and stuff like that, I imagine that that is the hope, that they really want it to feel that way. Um, You know, I think there's a lot of speculation. Obviously, Dungeons & Dragons has had a very sort of poor reception at the movies, uh, in Mm. especially in recent memory. Um, But, Rudy, you know, you were one of the first people I saw comment on this on Twitter. You were pumped up about it. I was actually pretty pumped about this tidbit as well. What do you think of this idea that it would be like Guardians of the Galaxy and Lord of the Rings universe. I'm super pumped. That is a great way to put it. I love the lightheartedness of Guardians of the Galaxy, and I think that I really want them to step away from that super duper serious epic tone that you get from Lord of the Rings. Uh, I think of, I've just started reading this comic book line from Image called Rat Queens about an adventuring party. It's incredible. It's super lighthearted, super funny, but there are great relationships there. So I think I think the movie should be representative of what sitting down with your friends and playing Dungeons and Dragons is, which is at the end of the day, mostly just a good time and lots of laughs. And I think this direction is definitely the one that I was hoping they'd take. And I'm really, really excited. Sure, sure. And I think, you know, at the same time, there is a, it's certainly a very epic world-shaking event at the center of Guardians of the Galaxy 2, you know? Um, so it's about this adventuring party, if you will, and they are doing some, you know, big epic things, but uh, it is a great time to uh, to watch the movie as well. I am right on board with you. You know who is not right on board with us, Rudy? Is Rich Howard. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just want to say I'm looking forward to this. I want to. I want to hear Rich's take on it because oh. I've just gotten these tidbits that he's that he's the opposition to this particular ideal, and I'm I'm very excited to hear what he has to say. <laughs> I was go for it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, I was. I was a little irked at uh, at James for making me be the one to talk about it. <laughs> this is a safe uh, zone. I just want to throw out that um, you know you you uh, we can have an intelligent, thoughtful debate about this, and I hope that people on the internet also understand that just because of, <laughs> it is a movie. It is a movie based on a game, uh, so so whatever Rich's opinions may be, just remember that. He's entitled to have an opinion, uh, and that is why he is on this podcast, not so that people on the internet can tear him up. Wow. Um, with that lead-in, let's see if I can... Um, n- no, Guardians of the Galaxy is not the tone I want to see in my D&D, D&D movie. I think the D, like first of all, D and D has been fighting fighting a a, uh, a reputation of being not taken seriously for nearly forty years. Uh, the other D and D movies clearly were trying to be ridiculous and over the top, campy kind of style, and those went over super well. They were blockbusters. Um, everybody everybody loved them. Um, yep. more than one of them had a theatrical release i'm sure uh, really was that true 
Maybe no, it was. No, absolutely not. So the the second and third were made on sci-fi, I think. Straight to sci-fi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's always good, right? Straight yeah. to sci-fi. Um so so no. I, I, I do agree with Rudy that um I I don't think I don't think we need to like rehash the Lord of the Rings. Not that I can't. Not that I don't think that you can make a different story than that. And I think the Forgotten Realms uh, is different than that. And it's my assumption they're doing Forgotten Realms as a setting. I don't think they're going to throw like Eberron up there or something. Yeah, I hear they have said they have, they have said it's Forgotten Realms. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it's just like every D and D campaign. You can have a different story, even though it's a pseudo European fantasy game. But I, I agree with Rudy that like Lord of the Rings did what it did really really well. I don't mind having a mix of the drama and lighthearted, but I would like to have an attitude going into it that it's taking itself. Uh, it, it's not, it's not putting itself up there as a big joke to itself and the people who have been waiting for a good, you know, Dungeons and Dragons movie for decades. Um, Indiana Jones, you want to do like Indiana Jones. That's great. I do in no way put guardians of the galaxy and Indiana Jones in, in even the same continent. So if you're saying Indiana Jones, then yeah, maybe like fun, lighthearted, good story, you know, solid writing, good character development. I'm in. That's great. Um, but Guardians, not so much. I'm I'm the only guy on the planet. Can, can you articulate what it was about Guardians you didn't like? This is this is the part I'm actually genuinely very interested in your opinion on. <laughs> uh, James got a got an unfortunate face full of it yesterday. I <laughs> not to ask. My wife asks people not to ask me. So, so first thing I'm going to say is people love that movie. They threw a bunch of money at it and it made so much money and people love it and they enjoy it. And I have no argument with that. You throw money at that. I get Black Panther. You know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. it's fantastic. I think it was terribly written. I can go scene to scene breakdown of how it felt like a first draft of a script that didn't get revisited and was thrown up on the screen. It had no internal consistency with what it was telling us. Things like Groot, right? Groot was fantastic, and Rocket was fantastic. The uh, the rest of the characters, it was just again not internally consistent. You you show us Groot can massively regenerate through the entire movie, and somehow I'm supposed to be upset that he might die because I knew exactly what was going to happen. There was a every scene I was able to see coming from a mile off. Um, I have specific issues with certain characters, but most of the issue had to do less with the characters because I actually love the comic. It's more with these scenes feel like really not solid first drafts that with very simple storytelling 101 techniques that every writer should know, you can powerhouse this up and still have the fun. You can still have the character development. You can make Gamora be a strong female character. And still have like the funny silliness between the you know her and Peter and and how she shut him down with the romantic you know comings on and whatnot. But she really just was there. She didn't really do anything. I could get more specific, but that would be a two-hour podcast. <laughs> sure. Well, and that was going to be my other question. If you were uh, overly familiar with the comics uh, before going to see the movie, because I honestly had never heard of the Guardians of the Galaxy sure. before they started talking up. The, the movie. So, uh, yeah, I had no idea what to expect. Well, I'd like to point out that my, like some of my opinions are, I are opinions on choices and that's, that's just, you know, don't, sure. don't pay attention to that. Like the, their Yondu. Oh my God. I, I hated that interpretation of Yondu. 
I see. That, so, so yeah, I think I think maybe a, I was served by not knowing the source material in this case, at least you know from what it sounds like from your point of view. Um, so yeah, I didn't I didn't have any of that background to yeah. uh, create but, any dissonance. But I want to point out that my opinion of Yandu is entirely personal and and ir- irrelevant to any conversation I would have about uh, debates. And and here's the thing, I came out of the movie and I was like, you know what, man, I didn't like it. But it was I didn't get wound up about why I didn't like it until I got hammered with a bunch of people talking about how much better written and directed and character development it was than like Winter Soldier. And I was like, Are you kidding like that I can debate. You you <laughs> if you want if you wanna if you wanna give me examples of if you tell me that the opening scene in Guardians of the Galaxy is the same as the opening scene in Indiana Jones, we can go beat by beat on that writing for those scenes for me to point out how they are very, very different. Sure. If you tell me you like the opening and it made you feel like Indiana Jones and you really enjoyed the film, I have no, I have no debate with that. Go enjoy that film. Yeah. And that's what I think for the sake of, for the sake of the D and D movie. Right. And I know uh, Dan obviously asked you what was wrong with the movie. Right. (laughs) I did. This this was my fault. No, no, not at all. And, (laughs) and you know, um, Again, uh, Rich, I think you're entitled to your opinion, and I would agree. I think anyone who says that uh, Winter Soldier is the inferior movie, I would also debate on similar points. I think that sure. Winter Soldier is an amazingly, uh, you know, as far as Marvel movies go, it's probably got the tightest plot of any of them. Um, I agree. Yeah. You know, you know, and I think it's got a ton of character development. You really feel for for Cap in that and everything. Uh, I sure. think. Totally, I definitely understand the comparisons to Indiana Jones and Raiders and that kind of thing. And for me, you know, I think Rudy uh, brought up a good point is for me, that is that is always what I am striving for, for my players to feel at the end of a, a session or a campaign is like, man, we just had a great time, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy style. And I think there's that great D&D meme that's like, you know, how most adventuring parties start and it's a picture of right. Lord of the Rings and then how they end and it's a picture of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And I Absolutely, do. yeah. You know, I think the tone I, of Guardians is somewhere in between there, which is a good thing. No, I think I've probably said enough. I actually felt like I should grow out like a twirly mustache for this uh, podcast because <laughs> I think I'm – being inadvertently uh, cast as the villain because I, I swear I get hate. My- I, I went online and I was talking about Guardians and I was like, hey, yeah, I'm glad people thought it was fun. Here are really ob- what I felt was obvious plot holes that I thought were unfortunate that could have been plugged. And I was destroyed Dude. by people. Yeah. Was that something you put up on your blog? I swear to God, somebody told me, why do you hate fun and why and stop being an elitist? I was like, whoa, all I'm saying is that Rocket's in this thing that's obviously big enough to fit Gamora in it. (laughs) He's he's like two and a half feet tall and it's built for a giant human. She can put her in there. What's your problem? Intellectual debate was not what those people were interested in, in right, having right, things right. like, Hey, we had a good time. Please don't smash our good time. I was like, I wasn't trying to, but apparently I did. I'm sorry. It's a movie and you should be allowed to post whatever you want on your social media account about said movie. Uh, it doesn't sound. And, and by the way, uh, guardians of the galaxy, no matter what your opinion is, uh, definitely has plot holes big enough to drive a truck through. Um, sure. 
it is it is super fun. Dan Dillon, what do you think about this D and D movie news announcement? Um, I know you said you liked Guardians, but it made you wary for the D and D movie. Yeah, yeah. I think I end up fitting somewhere in the middle between uh, Rich and Rudy here on this spectrum, which is uh, kind of cool. Um, I did. I loved Guardians. Uh, I went into it not expecting much and feeling kind of meh about the whole thing. Uh, but they they managed to pull something together that really grabbed me, and I bought into it big time. Um, so when you say you want to go for that feel with a Dungeons & Dragons setting, first off, that's a bit of a clash, um, just tonally with the the palette that you're painting with, if you, if you get what I'm saying. Um, it can be done. It absolutely can be done. I feel like Guardians did it. Um, a lot of people did. So yeah, I mean, clearly. it, it yeah. can be done. It's going to come down to execution. And I would say that I am somewhere between terrified and guarded, not quite optimism, but at least guarded neutrality. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I am bracing myself for it to be a train wreck. I want it to be good. I want them to pull it off. I am so skeptical that they're going to be able to. Uh, because it's going it, to, you know, they, don't, they haven't picked a director yet, or they at least haven't announced it as far as I know. Is that, is that still the case as far as you guys know? Uh, they have not announced yeah. it. Like I've heard about producers, I've heard about writers, blah, 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 but I haven't heard who's directing it. And that is going to have a massive impact on, on how my feeling about the movie plays out. And- uh, I did want to say to Dan's earlier point that because this is essentially new, like there's no source material to base this off of, which is similar to, or at least in, in a lot of people, a lot of people were unfamiliar with Guardians of the Galaxy like Dan. I know I certainly was. A lot of people might not be super familiar with Ant-Man. A lot of people might not be super familiar with Deadpool. And these are all like the same tone, I would say. This lighthearted introductory tone. I think it's a good way to start a franchise, which is I think what this studio wants it to be, to keep it light. And that way people don't really worry about the plot holes. They're more looking forward to enjoying the fun aspects of it. I mean, Ant-Man is a a mess, I think, in terms of plot holes and his powers and all that stuff. So I think this is a good approach in the same way that they reapproach Star Wars is they're like, all right, let's just make it appeal to as many people as possible and we can go from there. And I mean, you got Dungeons Dragons is huge. They can do a ton of things in subsequent movies if this one pulls it off. Yeah, so I if, think, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's important that I think this is a good guideline that Guardians of the Galaxy is a, is a good thing to wanna to um to copy. And again, all this is moot. Dan's right on. It depends on the director. I, I yeah, can I get agree. behind that sentiment, right? If they manage to pull this off, I think you've you've hit it, Rudy. That uh, if they manage to pull it off, and it isn't just a camp fest, which the, the first Dungeons and Dragons movie oh. absolutely was. Um, now I had a good time watching it, but the whole time I watched it with just kind of half my lip clenched between my teeth going, Oh man, really? Really? All right. All right. Whatever. Let's, yeah. let's, let's watch that Jeremy was Irons choose some scenery. A right. first time you know? director, that guy, I've done a lot of research on that dude. He had no idea what he was doing. And yeah. as a result, it is a mess. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Bought the D and D rights for fifteen grand. That's it. Uh, um, I think I think I want to get on a on a podcast with Rudy so we can talk about how I loved Ant Man and thought it was so so much a better film. I loved <laughs> Ant Man uh, quite a bit, but there were yeah. a couple of plot holes. No, I yeah. liked Ant Man, but I don't, I don't I don't mind 
I don't mind plot holes, but it's interesting. It is interesting whenever I, whenever I, I, I when I bring up problems with Guardians, people, people usually say, yes, I hear what you're saying. You're absolutely right. It didn't matter. I love the movie anyway. And I feel like any conversation with Rudy about Ant-Man, I would be doing the exact same thing. Like, oh, that's a really good point. Yeah, I loved it anyway. Yeah, uh, that, that's exactly what I was about to say. Like the tank yep. on the keychain, right? Yep, tank on the because, keychain. Because, I mean, they made a point of saying that it conserves mass when they shrink, right? Which is why he can punch stuff so hard. So how is he walking around with a tank in his pet? Never mind. That was awesome. Driving Absolutely. Through the- <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm happy to talk about those things for the same reason I like breaking down uh, movies like Guardians so I can kind of figure out how to because when you're writing something you're really writing for yourself you can't write for other people right oh, absolutely. so if I didn't if I did if I enjoyed or didn't enjoy something about the first cat movie or at or Ant-Man or whatever I need to know what that is so that I can um, either use it or try to avoid it you know or fix it or how can I make it better Dungeons and Dragons and I also agree with you guys as well which is if this pulls itself off we, we, we've been gaming forever. We know how many storylines they can pull off. My concern is that they might shoot for lighthearted game around the table and end up getting a bunch of drunk people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, like people who ate too much pizza and are covered in Cheetos. Well, and that's the danger. Um, right. that, that's a great analogy. That's a danger around the gaming table. If you can have a great time and just shoot the breeze and, and crack jokes and Monty Python references all night, but Sometimes that happens at the expense of what you were there to do in the first place. And I'm, right. I'm afraid that's going to happen in the movie. <laughs> right. right. I think there's all kinds of things you can do. You know, Rudy and I, we talked to John Gabris on the podcast a while ago, and he said he's waiting for the, you know, 82 part Netflix series where Drizzt is in Menzo Baranzan the whole time. Um, and mm. he wants to see that done, you know, like uh, a daredevil style. Um, you know, dark and green. I'm in. Yeah, that yeah. would be fantastic. I'm writing my <laughs> Spelljammer Pirate spec right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nice. <laughs> well, and or uh, Rudy, Rudy, had, Rudy had said something about a Dark Sun HBO miniseries or Netflix. That'd be fantastic. Oh. Someone, someone writing this down. We do. This is. We'll just hand these out to networks oh. for free. You're welcome. <laughs> do this. <laughs> uh, and I think the other thing we should mention is I think that Warner Brothers will also be looking very closely at what the Warcraft movie does and how it does, uh, because yes, that's probably important. going to determine a lot as well. The Warcraft movie is based off the really stupid Warcraft lore, and I hope that the Dungeons <laughs> and Dragons movie has nothing to do. Well, I don't know. It might be better written, but World of, Blizzard lore is the worst. Okay, thank you. Oh no! I think you are absolutely right. Blizzard War lore is uh, is pretty terrible. Um, so, Can't. and Dungeons and Dragons has tons of great stories to pull from, yes. and tons yes. of terrible stories to pull from. Uh, yes, so, uh, <laughs> uh, it will be great to see. Uh, where they pull and, and what they do. And I do hope that someone puts Ed Greenwood in this movie, like Stanley at some point. So, <laughs> oh, he's got to, he's got, he's got to be Elminster. He's got to be standing there as Elminster. Somewhere. As long as they don't have Tom Baker as an elf King again, I'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, well, Rudy is going to leave us for the next part of the program, but Rudy, before you go, where can people find you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Rudy Basso, R-U-D-Y. BSSO. Hey, check out the podcast I do on this very network. It's about Dungeons and Dragons licensed video games. Our next episode should be coming out the should be coming out the first week of March. It's about a couch co-op game. It's interesting to say the least. So please listen. 
which uh, which game is it? Tease the title. Oh, sorry, it's called play. Dungeons and Dragons Heroes. Rudy, thank you so much for being here, man. I really appreciate it. Okay, everybody, listen up. Because it is time for the great debate, the rumble in the audio jungle. It's multi-classing versus multi-classing. It's prestige classes versus please classes. It's time for the roundtable <laughs> listeners to decide if they're hashtag Team Iron Dan or hashtag Team Captain Howardica. Okay, so here's the deal. Uh, this has come out um, through some social media interactions. We found out Dan is pro multi-classing. He allows his players to do so. He thinks it's a great mechanic. He also enjoys prestige classes. Rich is con. Uh, I imagine, unlike Guardians of the Galaxy, this is a more divided issue. Um, there's a reason multi-classing in 5th edition is part of the optional rules, because not everybody loves it. There's a reason we saw in the recent survey that only 60% of people who took the, the D&D survey on prestige classes are pro-prestige classes. That means 40% of people don't want to use them at all. This is a great debate. We have two really intelligent people who do a lot of design work in the industry. So we're going to talk about both multi-classing and prestige classes. They kind of go hand in hand as it is anyway, because you need to, you know, multi-class in order to get a prestige class. Um, hmm. <laughs> so, uh, so we're going to start talking about multi-classing and then we'll evolve into prestige classes. It's going to overlap and stuff like that. Dan, we're going to start with you because you have recently written an article about it. Why is multi-classing great? Well, uh, yeah, that's, that's a good way to, to break into it. Um, okay. I, I love multi-classing and the, the big thing for me is options and tools to tell the stories that you want to tell within the framework of the game. That That's what it's all about for me. Um, my big thing, I've said it a couple of times that I've been on the podcast and, and uh, with my writing team, the Four Horsemen, we're big on this, is making sure that we can tell great stories and we can do it in a way that makes the mechanics work for you and also work with you. So, uh, you know, we're, we're crushing that, that storm wind fallacy. You can have great mechanics and a great story efficiently coexisting. Uh, and I think multi-classing is a great way to make that happen, um, particularly in fifth edition where some options that you might want to portray with a character aren't available in archetype form or subclass form. Um, there are some great ones. I, I love the subclass concept. Love it. Um, but it doesn't hit every possible note for you, if that makes sense. Uh, there are some things that just aren't well represented that that you just can't do that you used to be able to do say back in third edition with you know a, a prestige class that happens to fit whatever whatever theme you're wanting to portray or you could just kind of build it modular style since that's how the class structure was was set up in third um it's different in fifth and i'll say that i'll admit that straight off uh but i think that the tools are still there and if you have the right uh concept that you want to get uh, into the mechanics and on the table, uh, that multi-classing is a great tool to bring some of those out that aren't otherwise available. Sure. And we will link the article that you wrote uh, in the show notes um, because you do a great thing where you sort of compare the Eldritch Knight fighter archetype uh, with a fighter wizard multi-class character. And what are the, sure, the yeah. differences between those, which I think sort of points out a lot of what you're talking about specifically, which is great. Rich! Why is multi-classing not great? Um, so I would like to uh, rephrase your question. 
Sure. Uh, I, I think the, the question should be, why is multi-classing unnecessary in fifth? Great. I think that so is a much we, better question. I wish I had asked it. We, decide, <laughs> we decided to do this debate before Dan posted his fantastic article, by the way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there, go read his article because it's amazing. And, and it, it does some really great things and, and almost, almost made me want to tap out of this debate. Uh, almost. Back in the back in the early edition days, so you were talking first and second edition, multi-classing and dual-classing, dual-classing dual was a whole different mechanic. Dual-classing was humans and multi-classing was for other races. Uh, so it was, it, was a, it, was, it was much of a mess as the first role-playing game was, but multi-classing was the only way to get something that was not, particularly in first edition, not just I'm playing yet another fighter because I didn't roll well enough to play anything else, Right. So we had a lot of ranger druids and fighter magic user thieves and some of our iconic characters that my brother and I used to play are those mixed classes. And in third edition, they took multi-classing and they, the, at first it looked like they fixed it. Now, of course, we hadn't played high enough levels to realize where all the watering down of spellcasting comes from and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it looked interesting because you could make a mix and match of a bunch of stuff and then they added these prestige class things as well. <laughs> but in fifth edition... Like, I remember reading the player's handbook and getting to the archetypes and realizing, oh my gosh, look what they did. The elegance of 5th edition includes taking these prestige classes, right, these previous prestige classes, and making them sub-archetypes within the classes themselves. Great, we never have to use this ancient multi-classing mechanic ever again. Oh, and look, feats. They folded the soft multi-classing feats in from fourth, which is something that I actually really liked, which was something that they played with to stop the watering down. I'm like, this is great. I can have my, you know, ranger beast master with, you know, battle master, you know, maneuvers, and I'm all great. The, the issue with multi-classing is I don't have a problem at my table if somebody comes to me with a really good story, right? that says, look, I'm a, I'm a paladin, and I, you know, we got the fourth level, and I accidentally killed the paladin because it wasn't my intention, but the rolls went bad. And then I say, well, you're still alive. You wake up a week later in the battlefield, and you're alive. And he's like, what? And he would have leveled at the end of that you know, adventure that he died, and he's come back with a level of warlock. And now he doesn't know why, right? You have a crow following you around and whatever. Crazy crap is happening. That's great story. Now, Dan, Dan in his article talked, and I stole that story from somebody else, by the way. Um, <laughs> I won't take one. credit for that. Yeah, it's great. So, it's a good one. I dig it. I'm, I'm taking notes. <laughs> so Dan, Dan in his article talks about looking at things from the bottom up or the top down. And in that part of his, your article, I, I 100% agree with you. If you're talking about story-driven stuff, if you're talking about figuring out what your character is doing within the story, how your character is going to grow within the story, and then finding a mechanic that works with that story, then that's great. I'm a storytelling guy, right? I don't tend to run into that very often. I run into, oh, you know what I could really use? I could really use two levels of rogue to make my, I don't even know what better. That has nothing to do with the story. And I think you can get that between backgrounds, archetypes, and soft multi-classing feats you can get everything that you need from a storytelling, not everything. It's, it's only one book, right? Mm -hmm. But you can get so much of what you want. You want a fighter cleric thief now? Great. You've got the magic adepts, you know, feet that gives you cleric spells. You get a criminal background and a fighter class. Like, you're, you're, you, you've got a great feel. 
Is it going to be the same as the mix and matching of the multi-classing? No. Can you do other things? I can't really argue with Dan about that. Is it a mechanic that's necessary for fifth edition? No, I think it's I think it's uh, I think it's mechanics inertia from four previous editions or three previous editions because I don't think fourth really acknowledged multi-classing at all. But um, yeah, I just don't I don't think it's a hundred percent necessary. Can it be used? Yeah. Is it an optional rule? Sure. I think that it should have been an optional rule in a supplement on a website somewhere. I don't think it needed to be in the player's handbook. So let me let me throw this out there, Rich. Obviously, if I come to you and I say I have this great idea for a barbarian who can also become a bear, and here's the the killer story that backs it up, right? You're yep. you're cool yep. with that as a DM. Dan, what if I come to you and I say, what what if I figure it out the other way around, right? What if I am mm-hmm. looking at something and I say, ah, oh, you know, this these two classes, this barbarian druid combo is really powerful, and then I engineer it backwards to figure out the story is there something wrong with that level of power gaming in your eyes or is it hey i was able to justify it with the story i'm enjoying the story that i'm playing and yes i have also created a powerful character uh but one that isn't necessarily game breaking uh, because anything that breaks the game i feel like if it's ruining people's enjoyment right you need to address at the table however you're Absolutely. to address it. Is, yeah. is that okay in your eyes, or is that the wrong way to go about it? The perfect way to go about it, right? Either way you want to go at it, whether you start with, I want to play a guy who is an ex-army sapper who was uh, you know, given a discharge under honorable circumstances. Note, not an honorable discharge. Uh, and so he, you know, he just didn't fit in. He didn't fit in the command structure, the, the regimented lifestyle. It, it just didn't work for him. But he's got these skills. He has the, you know, the stealth and the sabotage. But he also has the martial training, so he can use these weapons that are not available to someone like a thief. Um, you know, the armor training that is not available to someone like a thief. Uh, so you can start with that. You start with the concept and say, okay, well, what, you know, how do you want to play that? And then does, you know, fighter with whatever subclass with whatever background or feet work, or is it something that you want to blend fighter and rogue? So you get a little bit of each and you build whatever your unique kind of toolkit is going to be out of that. That's a great way to go about it. If you decide, man, you know what? I would love to be a bear totem barbarian who can actually turn into a bear. That sounds freaking amazing. Look at look at what I'll be able to do at blah level. And then so I, I can work with that. Absolutely. Uh, whatever it is that the players are going to have fun with at the table, what's going to keep them engaged, um, that is just as solid as a hook as starting with an excellent as an excellent story, because the story can grow either way. You can start with that mechanical idea that just really grabs that player. And that can, that's just so easy to turn into a story. Uh, And, and if you talk to your players about it, I find most of the time that, I mean, that just, that, that just happens sort of on its own. In fact, I had a third edition player who wanted to play, I was running an Al-Kadim, so Arabian Nights setting, and he decided that he wanted to play a Kensai. Mm-hmm. Kensai sure. is a Japanese sword saint, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, square peg, round hole, 
making more work for me. But he was really into the idea. So I thought about it for a while and I, I did a little research. And there's already this militant organization in the setting, the Mamluk warrior slaves, who are basically properties of the ruler of the land. And uh, and they swear their loyalty to him and they're they're his, you know, they they are his property and they they fight for the land. Uh, and I did a little research on the internet and came up with an Urdu word called Junaid and roughly translated that means one man army so I'm like all right that I can work with so we scrapped the name Kensai and the Asian flavor and we renamed it Junaid and we rolled it into this militant lifestyle where people you know sell their children into slavery uh, to cover debts or so they won't starve because they're beggars and they grow up in this strictly structured warrior slave you know organization and some of them are the the elite of the elite, and they are inducted into the order of the Junaid. So I can take the mechanics of a Kensai and you know his fighter with a little bit of paladin to meet meet the prereqs to get into it. And now I've got just an awesome story, and I've got you know an oath written up for him to swear in front of the Grand Caliph, and it's going to factor into plots down the road. And and it was probably the happiest I've ever seen this player in third edition. So. <laughs> Yeah, I can absolutely start with cool mechanical idea and turn that into badass concepts tied into the rest of the campaign. That is the sign of a brilliant DM. That is what you do with your players, right? You, I have a, I have a world that I'm telling a story in. You want to play a particular thing. Let's work together to make the pieces become bigger than, like the whole to become bigger than the, two, the pieces, right? Yep. That's fantastic. Two things. One, he wasn't, Multiclassing, he was he was going to be he wanted to be a Kensei that wasn't necessarily going to fit. But he quick, it wasn't quick that, point of fact, he was indeed multiclassing. He was a fighter paladin. Oh, I see. It wasn't a third edition Kensai Oriental Ventures kind of thing. No, no, it was it was the Kensai Prestige class out of Complete Warrior, I think. Kensai Prestige and class. Oh, I Kensai Prestige Kensai Prestige class, and to qualify for it, he needed some stuff that fighter alone can't do. Sure. So, yeah, yeah. I gotcha. I gotcha. Okay, so then I take my take my statement back. Um, but you took that and you made you made that you made that a great story, and it's it's third edition. Mm-hmm. I think fifth edition still doesn't. It just I don't know if it necessarily needs that. Like you, it, if we're going to talk about, I, I think Dan and I are, have very similar sensibilities about gaming at the table, right? Totally. Tell a great story, have the mechanics feed into, have the mechanics feed the story, have the story feed the mechanics. We I think we're both on the same page with that, right, Dan? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so no argument about that whatsoever. But if we're going to discuss whether or not fifth edition need, so, so for me, the balance is, is are the arguments and debates that I see online worth a, a what is put into the book as an optional, as an option for some reason? Like they they decided that it was an optional rule, multi classic. I, I think an argument could be made that they were trying to do that like with feats and say like look if you have first if you're all just first edition players and you want to play straight up fighter champions and no feats and just ability score increases and no you know multi-classing even though there was multi-classing in first edition then I guess that that's you know we're going to we're going to make it so we can tell you that that's okay by making it optional. I personally feel like that and and maybe I need to talk to somebody at, at at Watsi, it felt like they more put it in because people just didn't want to not have it. Like they put it in to have it as an option. 
if we can bridge over to prestige classes a little bit so yeah, I can make it. Yeah, absolutely. I love the idea of prestige classes. So I don't know if this sounds con- counterintuitive. Multi-classing core classes, I don't think 5th edition needs it. What 5th edition needed was something to feed story, which to me, multi-classing into prestige classes, from what they presented, of course, mechanically, it still needs some tweaking, but that concept, that makes me happy. Those, the, the idea that I'm in a, in, a, in a specific setting like my own homebrew or uh, you know, Forgotten Realms or something, and I want to have purple knights, right? I want to have something specific that feeds the theme of what I'm playing. It's five levels, just five levels, of something that you can bring in to add some more flavor and tweak to what you're doing. That, to me, sounds like a lot of fun. It sounds good to control. You're building something specifically designed to multi-class so that your mechanics are tight, and then you put it in, right? The multi-classing core classes, it just feels like it causes a lot of chaos to me that's unnecessary, and I've almost, I've so rarely ever heard anyone, and this is internet conversations, so take that with a grain of salt. My table is a different thing because I have a different set of people around my table that have similar sensibilities to me. But when I'm online now, now that I'm kind of out there doing things, the conversations I see are entirely about, I'm going to dip into this, dip, 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 dip. And I'm like, really? How about saying like, oh, this is a cool concept. How can I fold this into, you know, if I blend this class and this class together, or, or how do I take this idea that this inspired me to have, this, this class or whatever inspired me to have, how can I make this mechanically, right? A paladin warlock is not necessarily a powerhouse right but it's an interesting story i'm not saying you can't have uh, effective mechanical stuff at the table with multi-classing and have a good story i'm just saying that i just don't think that multi-classing was needed i think you have you have multiple mechanics that are all doing the same thing archetypes oh i heavily disagree (laughs) big time uh a background uh does not give you much in the way of hard mechanics as far as how your character is going to play at the table. They give you a couple of options, but it's mostly a flavor and a story option, which is great. Yes. Don't get me wrong. And but it's not necessarily... Skills and, and, skills and skills tools and, and languages. Yeah, yep. those are good. Um, but that is not enough. Uh, D&D at its core is a combat simulator. Yes, that's only one of the three pillars. And that is important to remember that the other two pillars do play into the game. You know, Usually mm-hmm. whether you're trying to just play pure hack and slash or not. But backgrounds do not do anything for you on that combat pillar, right? So if you want to play that ex-army sapper who uh, is, you know, a fighter who fights dirty, there is no real feat or background combination that will create the same play style at the table as three levels of fighter, two levels of rogue with some sneak attack, right? I can't disagree with you. That does that. I can't, and, I can't disagree with you that those that that specific thing that you just mentioned can't be duplicated with feats. The feel, I disagree entirely. I think you can easily make a background that has that has stealth, the the thieves tools. I, I didn't say you can't create the feel. I said you can absolutely create the feel using backgrounds yeah. and feats. But that's yeah. it. You can't translate that feel into a play style 
via mechanics because the mechanics don't exist in the backgrounds and feats for that and for several other things. Like um, we, we had mentioned, I think, way back when we talked about this a little bit, the trickery domain clerics. A trickery domain cleric is not going to play the same as a rogue who has some levels of cleric for some of those tools to blend into what they're doing as a rogue, right? They're going to fight like a cleric. They're not going to fight like a rogue because they don't have the rogue skill set, tool set, sneak attack, evasion, uh, you know, uncanny dodge, uh, cunning, uh, cunning action. They, they just don't have those things. So a cleric of the trickery domain, even they're all stealthy sneaky, they're not going to play like a rogue who has those other options available to them. So if in you combat. want something in combat or in exploration, um, if you want something from column A and, and from column B, multiclassing is... Uh, at times, the only way to accomplish that mechanically. And you can get the same feel blending those classes to get the mechanical output that you want. You can get the same feel and flavor along with that as well. And, and that, I mean, that goes both ways for backgrounds and feats. You, you can absolutely create feel, flavor, and just atmosphere, uh, depending on the, the classes that you're blending to get the, uh, the mechanical uh, combination that you want. Uh, and as far as internet discussion what i see a lot is people <laughs> is people bitching and moaning that oh this this combination is op this is broken this is overpowered this is breaking my game right i have yet to get into one of these conversations and ask someone to tell me what is broken what is the combination what what is this person doing and how is it destroying your game how is it unbalancing the other characters not once has someone been able to explain to me how it's a problem uh, it's always just, oh, I don't like it is the bottom line that it comes down to. Yeah. And, and well, I mean, fine. That, that, that's your, that's your opinion. That's your taste. I, I have got nothing for you on that. If you don't want to use multiclassing at your table, by all means, don't use it. But is it necessary? Yeah, absolutely. There are options and tools that you can create from multiclassing that are not available through simply the feet and background combos. And, and for me, I don't want to restrict those options. I want them to be, to be available if I or my players want to do something that it makes possible. Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting, Rich. Uh, you were talking about dipping and that uh, the, the problem with dipping into a level of fighter to get something or dipping into a level of cleric to get, say, armor proficiencies for your wizard and uh, some extra spell advancement, that kind of thing. The question is, why does that bother you so much? I think that's an absolutely fair question. Yeah, yeah. I, and, I think, and I don't, I'm not trying to like call you out because I also have some questions for Dan, uh, but I just yeah. am wondering uh, why, why. No, I get it. I get it. And I think this is where, this is why I felt like I needed to, um, to grow out the, uh, the, the twirly mustache <laughs> um, for the villainous, uh, being but the villain I don't, on this. I, I, let me stress this. But, I don't think you're alone. I think there are a lot of people who feel the same way. Yeah, and I think it's because I feel like what ends up happening is the mechanics aren't feeding the story. The mechanics are feeding the mechanics. For me, they're, they're all different play styles, right? Everybody comes to the table. If you've got a group of people that all come to the table to play the, the, the way you want to play, that's fantastic. It's a wonderful thing about role-playing games is they can run a whole you know, gamut, totally. right, from we just want to play a board game basically to we don't want to roll any dice for eight hours. We're just telling stories, and we just have these mechanics as a backup, right? You can do any of those. And even within one, even within a campaign, you can do that from game to game. Absolutely. Totally. When I hear, I think it's important to talk about mechanics, obviously, because I 
design and I love mechanics. So that's obvious. I think that's well documented. Um, but when I hear conversations, uh, conversations, I, I wish I could hear more conversations about how things inspire people to do something, right? You guys get into a little bit of it on the round table when you're talking about like um, new things like the, the psionic slash mystic, whatever they're going to call it. Um, it. It's like, hey, this has kind of got a cool flavor, but really I just want to dip into this for a couple levels, right? And, and, and get this, you know, powerful thing that I can. now Dan Dan when we were having this conversation offline we uh, made an excellent point he's like well that's just a point of bad game design right right it's something something's too powerful at level one right it's it's the first level third edition ranger problem I only need one level of ranger because they don't get anything else until fifth exactly <laughs> yeah. right yeah, right? yeah I'm, I'm glad you brought that up I was about to yeah oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. With well, that. yeah Dan and I have talked a lot about rangers in the you know in our day so um <laughs> So yeah, I mean that's 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 unbalanced game design. And and I I appreciate that point. I really really do. I approach and I feel like I would like to see more people understand an approach of coming into a game at a table with a concept in their head of a person and putting that person on the table with some mechanics. And I understand that it's sometimes easier to translate from say board game into role playing game or video game into a tabletop by looking at mechanics and then wrapping a story around that, right? Sure. It, either, either way works. If you get a good story and something that you like, that's fantastic. But it would be, I would like to see more of the, I can't remember which order I did it in, the former than the latter, I guess. I would like to, I would like to see that when something comes up with a new um, archetype, um, not having the first thing pop out of people's mouths being, oh, now I want to take three levels of Ranger because this one thing is combined with paladins, you know, Nova paladin X, Y, and Z is going to make, you know, me, you know, kill everything in sight. It, it, it is a combat simulator. I can't argue with that. It evolved from a miniatures game, but it's not a, it's not a miniatures board game. Role-playing games are not Monopoly. They are, they are a, a game that incorporates a balance of social exp- exploration and, and combat together. And it's just the combat part, as much as they tried to put three tiers, you know, in, in the fifth edition, combat is, is so heavily weighted. And I just feel like I want to pull it back the other way a little bit and say, guys, let's take a step away from this. Let's look at your concept and idea and flesh that out. And then I don't, so mechanically, I can't argue with you, Dan. If you need two level, if you want two D six sneak attack, you got to get a level of thief, but do you really need two D six sneak attack? Uh, who are you to tell who are you to tell me i don't i mean (laughs) right Uh, like i said like i like i said i can i can give you half a dozen concepts off the top of my head that that blend fighter and you know someone with martial training and uh just a cutthroat dirty fighting style and he's looking for that opening to stick a shank in your kidney and that is that is mechanically in D &D represented by things like sneak attack um may i parallel something sure I love the idea, I, maybe because I'm in medicine, I love the idea of a field medic who knows anatomy so well that they know exactly where to stick you, right? Don't, yeah. I, I, I want to help you. I'm here to help you. I don't want to hurt you. Please don't make me hurt you because I can hurt you really, really well. And yeah, it I turns out if I, if I poke you right here, you will bleed out in about <laughs> two minutes. Out. Do <laughs> yeah. it better than the fighter because I don't need any energy to do it. I just know yeah. where to stick you. I love that concept. 
Now, I'm going to throw something out here, and I almost know the, the counterpoint argument, but I'm going to say it anyway. Sure. So <laughs> I folded that. One of the things I liked in, in, in Pathfinder was their alchemist's uh, vivid sector that had traded out the bombs for sneak attack for exactly that theme, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my, uh, my own alchemist for 5th edition that I did for Tribality, I have a reanimator that has the exact same mechanic. Now, it's not as good. A, it's like the original um, Vivisector in that they don't have the same level of sneak attack, but the concept's the same. They've studied yeah. anatomy so well, they know how to do it. So for me, and maybe it's, because, maybe it's because I'm a designer. Maybe it's because that's the way I'm looking at it, and I'm not looking at it necessarily as a player, and I get that. I feel like if I want to do that concept, I can make that concept with what's there without having to to mishmash a bunch of classes and try and figure out how all that's or try to get that on the table in an appropriate way. If I want to have a cleric who knows how to stick people, then I want to take think about the concept, think about the 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 archetype that I might want to apply to it, or in this case, the sorry, the uh, domain. And figure out a domain that works that way that makes that happen, or figure out a feat that makes that happen, or figure out a background that that I can role play that out, and then maybe say my extra damage that comes up at, I think it's eighth level for most clerics isn't you know more radiant damage; it's something else. I feel like there's a way that I can wrap story around the mechanics that exist, and that's that's what I want to do at the table. And I think you know where I'm going to go with this. That stuff just yeah. doesn't exist. It just doesn't. And multiclassing does. So for someone who is adept at designing new things, that's great. That's fine and dandy. Make up whatever archetype or, uh, or soft, would, would you call it, a soft multiclassing feat yeah, or, right. or whatever that you want that gets the job done. And maybe that, maybe that fits the bill, and that's perfect. Uh, for the vast majority of the gamers out there, I don't think that's a, a, a viable option. Um, and I, I can't argue with you about it. I mean, I, I, I qualified it before I even said yeah, it. That, yeah, no, that no, you, you saw it coming. <laughs> I did, I did, and, and I, I get that point. But and, and so the original point I was going to make about, you know, worrying about dipping and talking about the pillars uh, right. and, you know, who are you to tell me that my concept doesn't work that way? I, I, we make a lot of assumptions, right? You see people talking about how to achieve X, Y, or Z mechanically, and you think, well, pff, fine, whatever, you know, you're going to stack another blah spells into this guy. Right. Who is he? Why does he want to do those spells? That is quite frankly, irrelevant to the discussion. And it's a little bit, you have to be careful thinking like that because uh, I'm of the philosophy that nobody knows how their character should play or thinks or feels or, or, you know, the essence of them better than the person who wrote that character. Uh, And I've run into DMs who have this uh, idea that they know best and they're going to tell you what your character should do, and and that burns my ass every time. And Absolutely, so I, I want to I caution you, you know, like, yes, people make a bunch of uh, discussions and threads uh, on the internet about how to achieve things mechanically. Um, that's because, as you said, it's, it's a heavy part of the game. Uh, that does not mean that they're neglecting the other parts of it. It just means that maybe they have a handle on that. And yeah, now I, I, they have that, what I want to do is do this thing, and there is no archetype, there is no feat, and backgrounds just don't do that on the mechanical side of things to accomplish it. So maybe I can – what's the best way to, to get this feature into my barbarian that is not in the barbarian class? So right. yeah, yeah, you have to be careful of making the assumption that people are only doing things to, to schwack out their, their crazy DPS build. In a lot of organized play games, right? 
and and sometimes you're playing with people you don't know. Sometimes your group is a group of people who changes every week at a hobby store, right? Um, Definitely, right? Absolutely. And it, it's hard because you can't necessarily tell the the kid who keeps coming up because it's not your store. You're just there running the game, and the kid who keeps coming with the the broken build or the, or the thing that is is breaking your game, if that is the case. Uh, you know, yeah. it, it is a little more difficult to tell that person, right? Um, hey, listen, we just need to talk because, you you know, it's not as fun for everybody else. I'm wondering what you're going for here. And can we work together to achieve that? That kind of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, which I think is, is a little bit represented in the what are people saying on the internet conversation we're kind of having. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and I, I think you're right, Dan, right? Like, it's hard to know. And it's hard to know, too. I think uh, when 5th Edition first came out, people were coming, taking to the Facebook groups, and they were posting their uh, their level one characters who had, like, 23 charisma and, you know, 600 <laughs> hit points yeah. and stuff. Because it was clear that someone had allowed that person to bend what we think of as the normal rules. But that is, like, right. Rich sure. One of the great things about role-playing games, if I if I decide, you know what, uh, we're lifting the hit point restrictions, everybody starts with 100 hit points, I can do that because it fits my game, it fits my world, or it just fits the fun time I want my players to have because I want to throw a dragon at right. them. Yeah, if you, if you change the point by budget, that's going to have a huge effect on the landscape. And right. that's, that's, you know, that's case by case. And, and you know, I, I play with a group of friends who have played together for years. So my experience is obviously very different than someone who rotates, say, at an Adventurer's League table. And, you know, they don't necessarily know who they're going to be playing with week to week. What I want people to do is to go read Dan's article. Dan's article. Uh, it's not on the Four Horsemen website, although that'll be changing soon. It's on the Four Horsemen's blog that's hosted on d20pfsrd.com. There you go. Go, go. It's, it's, there's a, yeah, right on the left, like the, the sixth one down, there's the Four Horsemen blog. And, and right, we'll yeah. link it, of so, course, over in the Tome yeah. Show notes. Right. The Tome Show. I'm trying, I'm trying to get across. I don't, I don't want to tell other, I want to work with my players like you do. I want to say, what do you want to do at the table? What do you want to do? And let's make a really cool story about what it is that you do at the table. What I feel like what they did is they put multi-classing in and they have some kind of mechanics and it's what, like a page or something, but they didn't talk about the stuff you talk about in your article, right? It Mm -hmm. didn't, it's a mechanic that's a mechanic there that ends up having this huge weight to it of people looking at it, not saying, oh, what kind of cool concept of shape-changing bear barbarian can I make? It's like, oh, well, how can I get my paladin to be able to recharge his spell slots after short rests, right? Because Warlock, that's, the only, that's how. That's the only, <laughs> exactly. That's the only mechanic that's presented in there. It's the same issue that you and I talked about with the ranger beastmaster. Sure. The beastmaster itself is technically balanced the problem with the beastmaster is it doesn't talk about how to use the animal as a character in the game to enrich the game and make it fun for the player right while i while i agree with you there i think there is a more crucial component to why the beastmaster is bad uh, badly presented but we can talk about that later yeah, that's perhaps a, that's yeah thing, right <laughs> but my, my point is this yeah. i want to see more things i would love to see a series of articles of people talking about it's like you guys in the four horsemen doing your hybrid classes right it's basically the same kind of thing right i want to see people be inspired by idea and concept and story to multi-class that's what my thing is my issue isn't with dipping my issue isn't with uh, to clarify it's not with necessarily multi-classing i guess my issue is with is with the the books aren't helping people 
help them aren't, aren't helping people help themselves to make a character that's more than than they thought it could be right dan's mm-hmm. article starts that conversation in a brilliant way so you should go read that if i haven't said that 12 times already <laughs> right so and 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 that's one of the reasons i wanted to tap out because i'm like yeah dan and i are mostly on the same page here right i still don't think it's absolutely necessary if you come to me with a good story we have a mechanic to use to multi-class that in that's great but mostly i can my players can do whatever they want for the most part. Can they do everything? No, of course not. Is it nice to have? I suppose. But I think I would have rather had, like I said, almost like a separate section talking about, yes, this is an optional rule, but let's talk about some ideas about what you can do with this. What happens? What What is a, what is a warlock paladin look like, right? To get so people inspired. The, the problem it. you're running into there is that is a lot of page space. That's going to yeah, be required and for that sort of thing. So and the player's things. handbook is already huge. And, and, I, and important things were cut, I think, to make room for what's even there now. Right. And I think this is that maybe that boils down to the essence of what you and I are talking about. Yeah. I think what's in there didn't need to be in there. And you think what's in there uh, didn't, didn't just, you know, it's good that it's in there. You think it's required to be in there, right? Like this yeah. is a thing that multiclassing needs to be in there. And I think that's, I feel so, yeah. That I think that's really the only essence that, like, the, the fine essence of the difference between the two of us is is multiclassing. I think could have been another conversation somewhere else, uh, and let people master the core mechanics and the classes first, and then decide later I do to have do. To say though, I think if one of the chief design goals of fifth edition was like the addition to unite all editions. Um, if multiclassing was missing, that would have been such a glaring thing to people. I, I agree there also. Yeah, you know, I don't think I can disagree with that, but I, I don't. I don't. I'm not as adamant about it as you, but yeah, so, I don't think I can disagree. With that. Well, let me, Dan. I have a question. Just I, we're going to wrap up soon, but prestige classes. <laughs> um, sure. We, we talked, uh, you know, about the silly ones at the beginning of the game, and by their nature, right, they're a little more specialized usually. Uh, th- because mm-hmm. they're a lower number of levels and you need all these prerequisites to get into them. Um, so, you know, in my mind, if something in a role-playing game is more specialized, you generally accrue more of those things, right? Like there's hundreds of magic items, but only so many classes because magic sure. items are usually made to do a very specific thing. Um, yeah. Are you afraid at all that because of uh, what their nature is, we're going to end up with the master thrower and all of these kind of <laughs> silly, you know, prestige classes. Or do you do you think Watsy is going to be able to keep the you know elegant design lid that they've managed to keep on everything so far on prestige classes as well? I am not afraid. Bring bring on the prestige classes. Um, <laughs> I, I think no. I think Watsy will definitely be able to keep keep a lid on the the release schedule just because they have more things that they could possibly write doesn't mean that they're going to write all of it and i think that they have proven that with what they're presenting us Mm. uh so far but having more options for things to put on the table like you know suppose there was a prestige class in the sword coast adventurer's guide that added maybe one or two to the page count 
it, that, that is not a huge amount of bloat, right? That's that's just another option. Um, I'll go on record as saying that I loved the Rune Scribe that they uh, that they showcased on oh, Unearthed so Arcana. I. I thought that was great, and uh, I, I thought it was great. I thought it had cool flavor. I thought it was brilliant the way it worked with any class. You didn't have to be this, that, or the other to get into it necessarily. Uh, you know, some of the prereqs might have been a little uh, might have been stringent. I'd have to look them up again. But the way that the class levels were set up. And the way that things like proficiency bonus work now, you don't have to worry about, oh, God, I have this great idea for a, you know, ranger contemplative, but contemplative has wizard-based tactics, so I'm going to crush myself and this just isn't going to work, right? Right. You don't have to worry about that anymore, and that's brilliant. Um, And the way that they presented the just the the flavor and the very concept of prestige classes is exactly what I think the original intention was in third yeah. edition. Yeah. But they 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 kind of they they put the cart before the horse on that in favor of just cranking out more of these things. Um, yeah. Like so, you looked at assassin in the the dungeon master's guide three five. And you look at it and it's like, okay, so you have to be evil and it's blah, 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 blah. Why, all right, why do you have to be evil? Is it because you stab things and they die? No, lawful good paladins do that. You have to be evil because this assassin, as presented, takes money to kill people for profit for no other reason, right? They kill innocent pe- essentially innocent people for monetary gain. That's evil. Does that mean that anyone who fights with the skill set of this assassin prestige class must be evil? No, absolutely not. And they were intended to be sort of thematically modular. And you were, they, they said it here and there that you know, you're, you're supposed to uh, modify them to fit whatever flavor you want for your game, for your goals, whatever. So mm-hmm. you could have, say, you know, a tribe of jungle-dwelling goblins who develop these assassin skills because they're small, they're not strong, they're living amongst dinosaurs and ogres, right, and they right. need ways to kill themselves. So they learn, you know, oh, you shoot that spot on the mammoth and it dies. Let's write that down, you know? And, and so they're not doing it as contract killers. They do it as a matter of necessity. So if someone goes and lives with the, the, the Red Arrow Goblin tribe for, you know, six months and learns their ways, is that person then evil? I say no, right? Even though technically written on the sheet is assassin. Uh, and, and I think the rune scribe, the way they presented that sample prestige class hits that note perfectly. Yeah, and I, I, agree 100%. Really, I really hope that they push forward with it because I think there's a lot of potential there. I agree a hundred percent with everything you said, Dan. I agree. Yeah. I love the thematic elements of the prestige classes and how they can, how by by the the idea of writing them they feed story. What I heard about the rune scribe wasn't just that it was interesting mechanics; was that people were talking about the the stories that 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 concept inspired them when they felt like they could combine it with a variety of different classes, and that and, and it was super. Yeah. Accurate. It was presented specifically to be, this is an organization, right? This is a philosophy. Yes. They have covered this lost lore. This is why this class exists. Yes. And they needed to uh, focus on that more with the prestige classes instead of, oh, you're a knight of the chalice. You, you know, grow wings on your feet and go smite demons, right? Right. <laughs> yes. I agree with you 100%. All right. Well, we want to know what everybody out there thinks. We want to know what you think of the D&D movie. We want to know if you're hashtag Team Iron Dan, hashtag Team Captain Howardica. And uh, these guys, thank you very much for coming on, for giving your well-informed opinion. It's not often we get to have two designers come on and talk about things like this. It is amazing. It is a treat. It is a lecture people should have to pay for to hear. So thank you very much. Uh, Rich, am I allowed to? Am I allowed to join Team Iron Dan? Is that legal? <laughs> uh, of course. Oh, no, we take all comers, man. Uh, that's <laughs> no, 
exactly. Thanks so much for having me on here. This was a blast. And uh, I love talking to Rich about this stuff. We mentioned, you know, talking about Ranger back in the day. We could go on and on about that. <laughs> uh, no, these, these, are, these, are always, these are always fun gaming, you know, philosophy and core design principles. It, it's always a great time. It's a pleasure to be here. And I, I always learn something whenever I'm in these debates, too. <laughs> Before we go, Rich, where can people find you on the Internet? Uh, a couple different places. Um, you can find my uh, articles. I, I write for Tribality.com. Um, I have been flooded with freelance work since the OGL was released, so I'm actually taking a little bit of a sabbatical from Tribality, but I have, I don't know, 100-ish articles up there already on a variety of different subjects from game design to um, aquatic uh, underwater gaming. Uh, I'm on podcasts quite a bit. You can also find me there. Um, you can either email me at rich at richhowardauthor.com. Uh, you can contact me or any of the writers through Tribality at info at tribality.com. And I also have a Patreon uh, campaign that's uh, starting to ramp up. I'm, I'm now able to offer some uh, PDFs to some uh, to Patreon backers. Um, I think you could just search my name. I'm not even actually sure how you find new people on Patreon. I think that's just a name search. That's it, really. Yeah, yeah, and I'm on, I'm on Twitter and Facebook and all that fun stuff as well. Of course, and we will link all of that over in the show notes for this episode at thetomeshow.com. And uh, Dan, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, not quite as prolific as Rich, uh, but I'm on I'm on the Twitter, uh, Dan underscore Dylan underscore one, uh, and I'm on Facebook, and just you can just look me up, Daniel P. Dylan, and you'll find me there. Uh, also, work through the Four Horsemen, uh, fourhorsemenofficial.com. And, uh, yeah, you'll find, uh, my, uh, my contribution to the weekly four horsemen blog at d20 pfsrd.com. And despite that being a Pathfinder centric page, uh, my monthly contribution to that is going to be, I believe, exclusively either system neutral or fifth edition, uh, focuses on our monthly theme. Excellent. We can get behind that. And we got plenty of listeners who love playing Pathfinder as well. Indeed. Uh, so Indeed. yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, so definitely check out their stuff. Thank you to all of my guests, Rudy, Rich, and Dan. And before we go, there's a final segment that we've started doing here on the roundtable. We're highlighting a different DMs Guild product every week to give designers a chance to shine. This week's highlighted DMs Guild product is the 5e adventure Seeking the Board from Michael Robbins. This adventure for PCs of third level is only $2.99. That's less than a cappuccino at Starbucks. Included in the purchase is the adventure itself, maps compatible with virtual tables, four new monsters, and a six-page write-up of the city of Yatar, which is an actual city in the Forgotten Realms featured in the Elemental Evil storyline. The adventure itself is awesome. The party faces gnolls, demons, and undead as they follow the clues to recover a lost adventurer. That's awesome. Plus, this adventure is the first in a trilogy put out by Michael Robbins. Get it now to kick off something epic. There's a direct link to Seeking the Board over in the show notes for this episode at thetomeshow.com. All right, everybody, you can find me on Twitter at James Intracasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Also, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age, the fifth edition world I'm building over at worldbuilderblog.me. There's tons of free resources for your fifth edition games out there. And we're going to be publishing that world, Exploration Age, soon. Okay, everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. And thanks to Sam Dillon for getting this podcast out there on the airwaves. 
Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or the DMs Guild to help support the show. And hey, if you like the show, please rate The Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to The Roundtable.